Hi there. Welcome back to the Mindset Podcast. I'm very much looking forward to doing this one today as it's quite a big passion of mine. So today I thought I'd talk about mindfulness. But um, firstly, I just wanted to say hello and welcome back. And yes, it's been a while, but um, I have been pretty busy and I think life in general for people is getting back to being busy isn't it it's um very much feeling like kind of normal but different that's how I feel I don't know how you feel but when I go out I see lots of people and that feels really nice and it just feels nice that there's a buzz in the air but there still feels this slight difference I guess maybe within myself um and I sense that with a lot of my clients as well. There's been quite a shift in people, but people are doing okay. Some people are not doing as well as others, just just depending on everybody's experience during COVID, I think. And it's definitely had an impact, hasn't it? But um, it's certainly really nice to have some sunshine as well in London. Um, as anybody that's ever lived in London from abroad would know, we don't have particularly consistent weather. Um, but um, we have been having some really lovely sunny days here and there and uh, we had a 30-something degree Friday, which was amazing but a bit of a shock, I have to say, as well (laughs) Um, because, yeah, we might have sort of 18, 17 and then we get hit with 30-something so anyway, let's not talk about the weather too much it's a bit of an English um, thing that we do (laughs) get a bit obsessed with it um, I'm really happy to be back and as I say I'm wanting to talk about mindfulness today. I thought I'd start the podcast today with um, a quote from a book um, written by Pat Ogden and Janine Fisher called Sensory Motor um, and in there is a lot it's a, um, a book for therapists really um, to work with mindfulness and um, understanding this kind of somatic aspect of mindfulness so the body aspect So they quote this, and I I like this because I think this kind of sums up what mindfulness can help us to do a bit. The more that we learn about the wisdom of our bodies, the better we will be able to draw upon this intelligence to resolve the issues of the past. From a basic understanding, the body not only holds adaptations to past trauma and relational experiences, but also the capacity to heal them. We can learn to work with the body as an ally in moving beyond our past conditioning. We can learn ways to reconnect to the body to unleash a natural healing process that will help resolve psychological wounds and foster a new level of embodied connection to ourselves and to others. So I I wanted to quote that because I think mindfulness, one of the things that we don't talk about a lot with mindfulness is that it, it is about listening to the body as well as to the mind um, and noticing the body and and that for some people can be incredibly challenging um, particularly if they've experienced trauma or or had a recent massive loss or really difficult experience um, to suddenly ask someone to just do mindfulness or get you know start doing some mindfulness can can be very triggering so I think mindfulness is um is one of those things that um is great um, but it also and it's simple, but it's also very complex. So I, I wanted to bring some understanding around it um, from a therapeutic aspect, but also just from a general aspect. 
Um, and I've um, studied mindfulness and I've also experienced a lot of it doing Vipassana retreats, which is where you do 10 days of silence. And I'll go into that a little bit more a bit later. So I first wanted to talk about what is mindfulness. The general consensus is that it's a very ancient practice and originally was very much a spiritual practice and is now sort of much more steeped in kind of scientific evidence and so it's been accepted I guess more in the west whereas in the east mindfulness has been around for centuries and um, what it does is it helps us to understand our complex selves really on a different level through observation of breath which is really important, thought and sensation. And it gives us a tool to navigate through what it is to be human, really, and um, and to suffer. And it helps us to react in a less unthoughtful or mindless way, if you like. Because we spend a lot of our lives pretty mindlessly going about business. I think I need to mention John Kabat-Zinn, who developed a mindfulness based stress reduction program and in 1979 and um, he introduced this as a therapeutic tool did it at a a stress reduction clinic at the University of Massachusetts hospital and it was used really for people who were feeling pretty hopeless and had really tough time um, either terminally ill or things like HIV at the time there wasn't a lot of hope for people with HIV it was very very frightening and not a lot of support and a lot of stigma and also people with very chronic pain who who just couldn't get help from drugs or medication or you know were really struggling to get through their days basically and it had great results and I took that information from living in the moment from a book by Anna Black so I yeah I think John Kabat-Zinn is really important to mention because he's probably the founder of not the founder of mindfulness, but the founder of, of, of bringing it into the West and introducing it to the West and doing research into it and scientifically kind of really working out how it could be helpful um, or being able to prove that because we've always, I mean, you know, people in the East have known it's helpful. But it just hasn't been scientifically proven in a sense. I was thinking about how mindfulness helps and kind of what it is as a therapist and I was thinking about how the ability to be able to really bring our attention into the moment could really help and and that's kind of why we would use it when somebody's perception goes askew so for example if they have a a kind of maladaptive association to an experience of the past so uh, 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 they've adapted their sense of self into a way of being due to an experience in the past that isn't positive for them. So, for example, you know, um, started to self-harm in some way, for example, like over over drinking, over using something that is harmful for them. And then this kind of can lead on to very restrictive beliefs and make them very rigid in their sense of self and inflexible in their thoughts. And this leads to kind of these outdated needs and even feelings from childhood so for the if the experience was in their childhood it can um, come from a trauma experience 
and we know that the body holds on to those memories. So mindfulness is a really good tool to be able to kind of hone in to whether this is something that's happening right now or this is something from the past, just by being able to notice how we're feeling in the moment. Um, so Bessel van der Kolk, of course, I've talked about him before, the body keeps the score. He talks about how the body just holds on to memories. So mindfulness really helps us to come in to being able to just, yeah, just tune in and see what's going on right now. And the idea that if we're moving away from the truth and into perception and memories, we end up going further and further from the truth because the memories are not necessarily going to be right. And then we sort of go more and more into this kind of chaos or rigid thought process and action and the way that we deal with things. So the truth is only really in the experiential moment. That's how it's thought within mindfulness. So the truth is right here, right now. What's happening right here, right now. Can we tune into that? And this is the challenge. Um, And so I think when people kind of flippantly say, oh, just do mindfulness, it's not that easy. We can often distort our thoughts through continuing to think something without actually getting some sort of felt sense, without actually tuning into our body. So, you know, we all know that we can catastrophize or we can go into, um, we can have a memory of something and then we can can catastrophize and keep it going into a whole story. And actually, if we were to focus in the moment, which is what mindfulness is about, we might come back to some other story or some other reality, which is actually right here, right now. I'm okay, I'm safe, nothing's happening, it happened in the past. And it's over now. And so I'm okay. So how, how do we, how do we, you know, I kind of started to explain how we might use it in therapy. I think it's generally about asking you to, to notice the internal experience. And what, what's the point of that? Well, I guess it's to gain some sense of calm in that storm in your mind. And the point I think is that we live a lot of our lives, as I said, pretty mindlessly, going about just doing things and saying things without thinking or feeling into them, you know. And this often can result in us not really being that authentic or even even possibly hurting someone or ourselves through kind of an embarrassing action or, or statement. And I think if we want to live a conscious and more full and content life, we tend we tend to need to pay more deliberate attention to our thoughts and sensations and that would probably change things quite a lot and to learn to not judge ourselves around how we feel so that we can change our thoughts and i also believe that we need to be aware that from you know the precognitive age so pre-speech babies we're already in a sense of we're able to read the room The baby's nervous system is already able to read the room in a sense, especially for danger or comfort or, you know, the sense of the mother being there or the father or, you know, what's going on in the room, what's the feeling. There's this kind of innate response to safety and danger. So when we know that and realise that, it's kind of like we know that we would be carrying quite potentially difficult experiences all our lives that we then turn into stories and again this is where mindfulness can come in and be very helpful and as I've got a quote from attachment and family therapy which is a book by Patricia Patricia 
Crittenden and Rudy Dallos, Andrea Landini and Kasia Kozlowska. And they say that babies express intense somatic discomfort through their inability to eat, sleep or retain food. Their bodies know what they cannot yet say. And so the great thing about mindfulness is that we can relearn things if our early years were difficult or traumatic. We can relearn a new way to sit within that, all those feelings through mindfulness. What we, we know more about now is that babies, you know, can't speak. But this doesn't mean they didn't know what was going on in the room or what was going on around them. And I think it's really important um, because we can see that we may be reacting to moments from the past before we could even talk sometimes in our later years. You know, we actually can go into a fight or flight response if someone shouts, for example. Yet if we come into mindfulness and, and try and tune in and notice and check our thoughts, check our feelings, check our breath, we can see that in this moment right here, right now, that we're safe as an adult. And it could be that it's just someone being loud or flippant, not necessarily aggressive, which might be a felt memory in our sense of self. By being mindful, we can see the way the world is right now around us in this moment. And that actually the way that we see the world, the way that we saw the world before we practiced mindfulness maybe was a way of interacting um, that had a lot to do with the past, not necessarily what's happening right now. And that's all very interesting stuff that you can, you know, look into around attachment theory. Um, you know, there are different types of attachment. You've got secure, insecure, avoidant and um, insecure, ambivalent, resistant. And these all come about depending on your experience as a baby and how you experience the world around your caregivers. And they all have an effect on then how you manage your emotions and how your nervous system reacts and this is where mindfulness can be done there are different types as well that was something I wanted to talk about so it can be focusing on breath it can be doing mantras or noticing body sensations you can use a candle to just sit and stare at that there's within therapy there's a therapy called dbd or dialectical behavioral therapy which was started in 1993 by I think there's mindfulness-based cognitive therapy developed by Seagal and Williams and Teasdale in I think 2002 um, you also have things like embedded relational mindfulness this is a more kind of shared experience within the therapy and therapeutic process so this is where you you would work in the here and now with the therapist also something called sensory motor psychotherapy so working with mindfulness this is a work that was began by ron kurtz in 1990 and that's more rather than having kind of structural exercises to do that which is what you'll often have with mindfulness it's more about where you become more embedded in the sense between client and therapist so it's moment to moment seeing what arises in the session um, and the therapist might ask the client to notice and share what's rising, what's happening right now, right right here, right now. And yeah, some of those bits of information I've taken from sensory motor psychotherapy by Pat Ogden and Janina Fisher. 
And they talk about five building blocks of present moment experience. I think this is quite interesting. And they talk about cognition, so thoughts, interpretations, beliefs about ourselves, about others or the world. Then emotion, so these are the five blocks. Emotion, so fear, anger, joy, feelings, tones, moods, a sense of peace. And then we have the five perceptions, so our internal sense of perception, of smell, taste, touch, hearing, images, structure, textures, things like that. And then movement, so posture, gesture, facial expression, trembling, heart pounding, that kind of thing. And then body sensations, so feelings, physical feelings, tingling, vibrating the body, giving back information um, about our inner states. So to be able to notice what is real and what is reaction, Pat Ogden states, practicing mindful awareness of internal experience can help us to be more present in our current lives instead of reliving the past. So it's kind of what I was talking about just now. Being able to bring ourselves into the present moment takes us out of the story in a sense. It's, it's, it's takes practice. That's one of the things about mindfulness. And in therapy, we also often talk about narratives. I think one thing that's really great about mindfulness um, is that it gives us an opportunity to notice the narrative in our mind. So often in Buddhism, they'll talk about the monkey mind, you know, just going off on its own journey, on its own thoughts, just racing around um, with these automatic thoughts. And they might come from learnt experiences in our lives, family, ideals, peer groups, work environments, school, all those kind of things. And when you begin to do mindfulness, it's kind of like you're questioning, are these my thoughts? Is this what I believe? Is this my real inner truth? Is this the sense? You know, for example, things like being told you're an idiot as a child. When you actually begin to meditate or sit mindfully and quietly, you can actually ask the body that and get a much clearer answer. So mindfulness can bring about a really acute attention to our speech as well. It really helps us to, to know that we generally just speak, we just say what we like, and we don't think about it very much. Um, you know, do we just say things, or are we aware of what we're really saying, and why are we saying it? What intention do we have behind what we're saying? Is it to be funny? Is it to hurt someone? Is it to make a point? Is it sarcastic? Which often has an agenda, doesn't it? Is it to control someone or to belittle someone? Or is it really caring? Until we quiet down the busy mind, we don't, we're not always that clear. And sometimes we might say something and then someone's reaction is not what we expected. But actually when you quieten things down and, and look within, you might be, oh, okay, yeah, I realise why, you know, I shouldn't have said that. Or, or maybe you won't, you know. But... I think speech is very important and we know that words can hurt a lot and so being more mindful about what you say is really quite powerful and useful. It really asks us to be interested, that's a really important part of mindfulness, I'm really curious about how we think, what we say and how we act. So to be able to become really aware of the truth, I would say that you know we need to be more in the moment to differentiate between the awareness of the actual experience right now, but not and, and not so much what's happened before or what might happen. Heading off into the 
past or the future because those are both very loaded you know the memories of imagination of the past is that it happened but it's no longer happening and the present doesn't exist as Eckhart Tolle would say through kind of looking at when we stress about something and then the actual thing happens and it's nothing like what we might have imagined it was going to be so it just doesn't pan out in the way that our imagination takes us off and that depends on our life experience and who we are and the way you know our nature as to how we tend to do that and think to the future some people are much more able uh, much more catastrophizing in the way they see the future rather than others that might be able to not do that so much we might have negative scripts in our head and our body memories also you know that felt sense i was talking about from childhood like i'll give you a little example um if you're going to feel abandoned so if we become curious and ask why we're asking this or why we're feeling this we might find the truth of reality is just not that's not the case but that we've been abandoned maybe in the past so this is might be a possible trauma memory associated with feelings what we now call triggers also a bit of a buzzword at the moment isn't it so um so by bringing ourselves into the present moment and being interested in those thoughts and feelings, we can potentially act really differently. And there's a wave of kind of, I would say, really over-psychologizing that's going on at the moment and everyone's looking everything up and everyone's trying to, you know, therapize themselves in a sense, which is, some of that is a really good thing. But there's a reason that therapists study and that is to to build on a skill and become professionals at it and you know, hopefully um, able to help people in more depth. That doesn't mean I don't think it's good to do a bit of your own, you know, learning and trying to therapize yourself a bit. But I think one of the problems with mindfulness is that it does get thrown around a lot. And I had to work with quite a lot of clients who've done programs or things that have been offered. And I've had to do a lot of kind of repair work with them because they have been re-traumatized by their experience because they're not supported enough when they actually go deep and it, you can go deep with this stuff you know and um, when you start to listen to your body and listen quietly um, it can bring up old memories and old experiences that that not bring up experiences but bring up memories of those experiences which can trigger you um, quite um, severely so yeah you have to you have to do these things with really strong intent and also knowledge and be, be careful. I think with anything where you may be looking at difficult past experiences, you need to be careful. And I think um, mindfulness asks you to sit with your body and, and your thoughts and sometimes to listen and to feel. It can feel quite uncomfortable for some people. So the theory behind mindfulness is that there are thoughts and they create feelings and feelings create a behaviour. And the behaviours reinforce the thoughts. So basically, you know, your thought, you have a thought and then a feeling happens in the body. And then the feeling makes us react in some way. So we behave in a certain way. And then that behaviour might reinforce the thought. So here's a bit of an example. So you go to visit an old friend, you feel let you down in the past in some way they've done something that you felt let them you you were let down so you don't trust them it's become a big issue 
So your thought might be, I can't trust this person because they did this to me in the past. And then your feeling might be fear of rejection or being hurt. And your behaviour might be to be standoffish. But by being standoffish, when they say something hurtful back to you because you're so standoffish, like, oh, you're always so cold, then your feeling of being hurt is reinforced. And the thought might be, oh, this person hates me. And that thought hurts you and you withdraw more. Rather than maybe coming towards someone in the moment with an open, curious mind, so being mindful, and feeling more open and receptive, the person then might be more open and receptive to you. And they might make a comment which is more kind. And their behaviour might reinforce your thoughts. And in your head, you might still have this memory that in the past you were upset. But you're being mindful that we can move past the past and see what happens right here, right now. And because it was unusual that they were unkind to you, and now you realise through communication that that person maybe was hurting themselves and something was going on for them, and they were projecting that onto you. And then, hopefully, you can be more happy in the moment. You're, he's more happy in the moment. And you're acting in the present moment, not in a past memory or a future thought process. Right, that kind of explains a little bit in a simple way. I think mindfulness is a, it's an action. So it's something that you do. So to be mindful is an act, really. And mindfulness is also a way of moving into a state of mind. Um, and I would describe it as focusing your full attention towards something externally from you, then using a curiosity to observe it. And working through the, le the senses, so seeing, observing, feeling around this, also often called sensations, is about asking ourselves in an all-embodied way, so through our sense of feeling and thoughts, and body sensations in the here and now, not comparing it to the past or expecting something of the future, keeping a moment-to-moment -moment attention on the body and the thought process. The cute, you know, I uh, often when I'm working with clients, I talk about this curious mind, so this other mind that kind of sits up here next to your head, and it watches with curiosity as the body begins to feel something or the thoughts come in, and we need to bring in a gentleness as well. It's very much part of mindfulness is this self-compassion. It's really important because fear can rise up. When we start to notice more or we feel the discomfort or we want to avoid it, um, we need to bring in self-compassion and understanding that this is, this is not easy. And that's a really important component of mindfulness. And there are elements which are particularly important, such as not to judge, yourself on what you're seeing or feeling or thinking and not to get stuck in a non-flexible way so it's really about being able to to move through the moment and just observing it daniel j siegel in the mindful therapist talks of the mindset lens i like this he talks about how we don't teach children how to use this this mindset lens and we kind of feed them all these facts at school and figures, but we don't support them in learning about their inner world, you know, their felt sense. 
he talks about analogy of having a tripod, which is like you use the tripod to steady the camera as you're as you're watching with this mindset lens and how we can teach them to use this to steady the lens and look within. So looking at the confusion, the unsteadiness and the tripod metaphor is to help when we're doing this kind of looking at the sea within, he says. So the rough sea, is it stormy, is it calm? And the sea within, which gets rough at times of turmoil and stress. And he speaks of how we have this this steady lens, watching quietly, breathing with curious mind, looking for the more subtle aspects of the mind and looking for more calm and equanimity. So moment to moment in amongst the storms of life or our own perceptions. And having patience and a non-judgmental attitude are really important. Because although this is is a simple thing to do, it's also hard to do. Um, It's an ongoing skill. You know, mindfulness is something you just keep learning. You never finish learning it. It's, It's ongoing training, really. Training the mind, like taking the mind to the gym on a daily basis. And we also have to ask ourselves to trust the process um, because it's not always easy. It can be a bit uncomfortable, especially if trust is an issue for you. Um, Often you might have made an unconscious choice to disconnect, become mindless um, for a reason. Denial is is important. It's an important part of being human. Sometimes we just cannot go there. We cannot deal with something if it's too big or too painful. So we push it aside. And at times when that gets extreme, it could be disassociating. So really disconnecting from the sense of self, which sometimes can be quite, quite dangerous um, if we're not aware it's happening. Um, but, but generally it's more kind of a detachment and that it's just a, me- a protection mechanism. And when we bring attention to the body, we might notice old feelings and it can, it can be quite overwhelming sometimes. So it's being aware of that. And I think one of the most one of the most important aspects of this tool is your breath. So becoming more aware of how you're breathing, regulating your breath. Breath is often referred to as an anchor in mindfulness. Um, so you're using it like this anchor to hold you down while you're trying to just observe these stormy waters. And it's a place to come back to, to kind of ground you, this sense of breath, this anchor. Because when we intently focus on our breath, coming in and out, we can't really do much else. It's very, takes the attention. So we can feel all over the place when we begin to do this practice sometimes. But using the breath as the anchor can help to begin to quiet the mind and just to notice. So what can it help with? It can help us become more attuned to ourselves, more aware, and it can help us become more aware of our inner state um, and I think this as a counsellor is very important, you know, to build trust with a, a client. We need presence and we need attunement and resonance, as stated by Daniel J. Siegel in The Mindful Therapist. He says, presence, attunement and resonance are the way we clinically create the essential condition of trust. I think also it can help with stress so it brings down cortisol levels by practicing mindfulness and meditation. You basically can calm the nervous system down. Trying to think our way out of problems can just make us feel worse. So the idea is to listen to what's going on in your body sensations and listen to the messages. As Bessel van der Kolk says, the body keeps the score. 
Um, it's a beacon of information, and yet we mostly just ignore it, allowing it to get get more tense. You know, we get more uptight, even distorted. We start slumping. You know, our shoulders are down. We we actually just sort of worry ourselves sick, as they say. So mindfulness is kind of a way out of that. It helps the immune system to regulate. In March uh, 2012, the International Journal of Hypertension looked at blood pressure and how mindfulness can reduce high blood pressure. It was also shown to reduce symptoms of chronic heart failure from the American Heart Journal. Um, in the area of mental health, it's become a buzzword. It's, it's, a, it's a huge support in mental health. Um, it's self, said to help anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, even borderline personality disorder. But things like that, really, you need to work with a professional um, to get the support in really kind of working out how mindfulness works. You know, this is something that just goes back a really long way into ancient kind of belief systems and understandings and teachings. So Buddhism, you go back to the time of Buddha, you know, 563 BC. He spoke of the Four Noble Truths. And this is very much associated with mindfulness. You know, the first, the understanding that suffering is part of life. Second, that we suffer because we crave things or we have an aversion to them. And the third was to live a simpler life or manage our attachment through observing our minds and meditation. And the fourth is when it gets pretty interesting. This is where we come to where we learn to move beyond suffering. He called this the eightfold path. And it involves a series of ways of behaving. So he talked about having right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort and right mindfulness. And the last one is right concentration. And Buddha, you know, he understood suffering because he saw so much of it and sat in that pain through his meditation. And he did a lot of work for us, basically, to understand what mindfulness really is. There's a quote in um, a book in the School of Life called Great Thinkers. And it says, We must do our best to liberate ourselves from our own tyrannous desires and recognise suffering as our common connection with others, spurring us to compassion and gentleness. And I think, you know, that that is very much what mindfulness can help with. You know, it helps us to get out of our suffering. It helps us to come out of this kind of sense that we can't change the way we feel and the way we think. And it gives us a tool. And that's what I love about it. More recent philosophers um, in our not-such-distant past, they've spoken of ways of thinking which fit well into the mindfulness remit, really. So um, Epictetus stated, what concerns us is not the way things are, but rather the way we think things are. You know, I think that very much kind of connects in. It's not being in the moment, really. It's always being in the past. Confucius defined the eight steps of self-cultivation. The third step, he looks at how we can use the mind to bring awareness, which is bringing it into a sense of being mindful. Uh, Marcus Aurelius said, give yourself a gift, the present moment. So, you know, these, I think, are all very much really seeing that we need to be in the moment. We need to be more present. It's really important for us as humans. And the ideas around what to practice on, how to practice mindfulness. So 
Some ideas might be you can mindfully notice your partner. So sometimes I suggest this to, to couples if I'm working with them. So I ask one of them to just really observe their partner in a way they've never done before. So it might be, say, you're sitting at the dinner table and you're eating and just to really notice their face and really observe it, every little bit of it. Really see if you can... Or sometimes I suggest that parents do it with children. You know, really notice. And it, you just... What you begin to see is how you slow down in that moment as well. But also you see things you haven't seen before, which can be really lovely. Uh, mindfully notice your food. So eating mindfully is a really good one. I mean, we should be doing that anyway, but most of us just woof down our food. You know, maybe if you're sitting in front of the telly or you're just eating too fast or talking. When you're on a retreat, for example, um, so Vipassana retreat, the food becomes very important because you don't have a lot of it. You might only have an afternoon meal. And so you eat very mindfully. You know, you notice every bite, all the flavours, the textures, and and you become quite full. You know, you, you fill up much more because you're noticing everything. Um, noticing your breathing so it's a really big part of mindfulness you know notice the breath do some deeper breaths notice some long deep breaths see how it feels see how the body changes mindfully notice your work so for example oh I hate washing up really don't like it maybe one day just really observe what it feels like to do the washing up notice your hands going into the hot soapy water notice the sensations you feel in your body Notice as you clean the plates and put them onto the rack what that feels like. Just see what comes up. Just be interested. Be curious. That's what mindfulness is. We're looking at the present moment. We're looking at the automatic thoughts, the judgments. We're bringing in acceptance. We're bringing in compassion to the self around the discomfort that might bring. And you're also watching the ego. I think often... We, the ego takes over and thinks it knows what's best for you. But actually, when you slow things down and start having a look, maybe it's not always right. <laughs> How will it help? Well, although initially it might feel a bit uncomfortable practicing mindfulness, um, it needs to be done gently and sometimes with support. You might need to know what's appropriate for you. And yeah, for some people to start really noticing their body if they've experienced a lot of trauma in the past can be quite triggering, as I've said before. So yeah, really knowing how to go about it. Start gently, start doing little bits. If you want to go really deep, maybe get in touch with a professional who can help you also to self-regulate a bit more. Not all meditation is associated with mindfulness in the same way. It's kind of a bit different, but often similar. So, for example, insight meditation. So Vipassana, I've talked about before. Um, it's a 10-day silent retreat. So it works with getting deep insight into yourself. It's, it is mindfulness in the sense of kind of extraordinarily pinpoint attention on sensation. And it allows for insight into watching what rises up in the body into the mind without interfering. So you're not getting into it. You're not analyzing it. You're just observing it, watching it rise and pass. Just observation as sensations and thoughts rise and pass, not placing attention to it, as I said. Mindfulness practice at this level is to sit very much with an upright back um, and focus the attention on the flow of ordinary experience as it rises. 
and it can be quite uncomfortable sometimes and thought patterns can rise up and try to distract you you can experience pain in the body itchiness all different things that where the body just tries to distract you from that because we're not used to it but because it's done over a 10-day period you soon you you get supported in learning the technique and you get stronger and stronger at it and it's incredibly powerful and it's a good way to learn mindfulness um, very experiential uh, but it's not for everyone then there's transcendental meditation um, it's interesting because it uses mantras so repeating something over and over to get focus but this is a more kind of outward focus rather than an inward focus and it's said that it can help to gain the calm and to help concentration it's just done in a different way so both working to stop the constant chatter of the mind so that the monkey mind that we were talking about and the idea ultimately is to observe impermanence. So the same kind of thing. And I took that little bit of information from the Rough Guide of Mindfulness by Albert Tolbert and Susan Herman. Impermanence, because there's a, bit, a really deep understanding in mindfulness that nothing stays the same. So everything is impermanent. Um, nothing is permanent. Everything changes. We know that. Even metal, it changes in some way. Rocks, they change in some way. Everything changes. And I think neuroscience has really helped us to begin to see that we are organisms and that we change constantly. We're not fixed. We're not a fixed entity. We're energetic. You know, we our energy um, flows and between each other and within ourselves. And this energy flowing, connecting and feeling is really important. And by helping us look with a more open mind at mental and physical health, as something that is a system, an energetic system, that can get out of balance, I think is really useful. And it allows us to see suffering as something we can begin to understand and be curious about, rather than something we want to push away, deny, sweep under the carpet, ignore it. You know, that's more of the past. They go on to speak about etiology and how, there's a quote, to put it simply... The cause of our suffering is the fact that we oversimplify reality in general and the way our organism works in particular. When we oversimplify, we distort reality and we fall into ignorance. This, so this idea that as humans we're, we're really complex actually and we have these false ideas that freedom, we can kind of build this freedom and build this com complex social structures because we're so clever, which we can. But we spend a lot of our life kind of in autopilot you know and they argue as many others do and, and I really agree with this as a therapist that if we begin to understand our suffering more and do this with a mindful inquisitive kind of curious mind we'll gain much more awareness and and with this we can begin to understand our suffering more and let it go rather than staying stuck in it and rolling in it a quote um, in this book is very pertinent I think and that is this letting go is the beginning of an awakening. And I think therapy, as therapists, that's what we're wanting to support people to do. To be able to, to understand their suffering in a way that they can then just be more present in the moment. And let go of what they've been holding on to. And then they go on to talk about prognosis. And that in fact pain is part of life. The suffering is part of being human. It's the human experience. Yet if we can be present in the moment, 
we can see that suffering comes and goes. It's not constant, like everything changes, um, as does happiness. And so this makes them the same in many ways. This is where we can begin to see that we have choice, conscious choice. You know, suffering and happiness come and go. And we can suffer in this moment or we can accept the suffering as something that will pass and come to experience with more acceptance of mindfulness. And this is all more scientific. It seems to me that we find it hard to accept the pure experience. We want everything to be proven. And I understand that. I realise that's important to get proof. But um, this need for scientific proof to be able to believe things, I think has also held us back in the West sometimes. It can make us more conscientious during mindfulness, more kind, more intentional and more present. Those are really beneficial things you can get from mindfulness. And that in turn, I think, makes us more human, more available to ourselves and more available to others. I think that's a good thing, don't you? <laughs> I really think that's a good thing. So, yeah, I, I, I think mindfulness is one of those things that in some ways I'm really passionate about it, but I also feel it's often oversimplified. And I think that's tricky because in many ways it is a simple thing to do, but at the same time, the doing of it can be incredibly challenging. And that I think is where having support around it is really helpful and to gain you know, more depth of understanding around it is really helpful. There's so much reading you can do. There's so many different great books. Just, it's everywhere, really. You know, you can find a lot of good stuff online. It's it's a very useful tool. I I try to live by it. You know, I try to be mindful. I I'm often mindful that I'm not being mindful, <laughs> and on it goes. You know, so um, it's a constant, ongoing journey and experience and it's an ongoing learning always learning more and more and that I love about it as well I think that's a really cool thing anyway we're coming to the end of the podcast I hope that some of this has been interesting and um think uh, sometimes when I want to talk about something I'm really passionate about I get a little bit over enthusiastic so um yeah I hope it's not too um bitty and I hope you enjoyed the podcast and I look forward to talking to you next time I'm looking at doing the next one on spirituality and health I, I kind of promised that I would do another one on spirituality um, and so I'm looking at doing that next but we'll see I'll leave it as a bit of a surprise again <laughs> to those that do listen and thanks again have a great week month i'll speak to you again in two months and uh, take care of yourself enjoy the summer or the winter if you're in australia or new zealand or the other side of the world but in england yeah here's hoping we'll have a good summer bye everyone